0: The only, and I will say though, because the point is this, the difference between now and then is it, we know the fiat printed money system is a bullshit too. But the difference, as Jim points out, we point out, we're about to cross a line that we could never come back from. Money you can still spend anywhere, and they don't know about that transaction. Between you, the buyer, uh, I mean you, the uh, the purchaser, and the person that you're buying it from. Once it goes CBDC, that's, that's anything like game digital. over. doesn't matter what you yeah. call it. If it goes yeah. digital, it's over. It's over because they can control the whole system.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay, we continue. By the early 1970s, in the context of the social movements, one can detect, in the North, the replacement of conservationist ecology with political ecology. It was under the influence of the New Left, in particular, that environmental problems became politicized and prominent. In addition to natural resource issues, this politicization focused primarily on pollution problems such as oil spills, chemical hazards, and nuclear pollution. In 1972, Murray fa- <laughs> <Albanese's> favorite organization, <laughs> the Club of Rome, a group of concerned leaders from businesses and academia and government, published its Limits to Growth, mm-hmm. highlighting in particular the possible input limits to further industrial development. In the same year, the UN held its first conference on the human environment in Stockholm. Again, the focus was on natural resources management and to a lesser extent on pollution control as both resources, depletion and pollution, were seen as potentially jeopardizing development. Now, this is the 70s. Okay, this is early 70s, right? 1972. When did we go off the gold standard? Was it the 70s? It was uh, 71 or 72. Yeah. And right after we went off the gold standard, Rockefeller came out and publicly said, all fiat currencies, which we were now on, wasn't backed by anything, go to zero. You want to own the natural resources. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So they immediately started working up a scheme to control all the resources.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's how they do it. They are the economic terrorists. Within the intellectual context of the
1: new left, environmental problems remained mainly political problems. Resources depletion and pollution were, it was argued in the 70s, the result of existing power structures which oppressed nature and people alike. Because of this, of this political framework, political ecologists remained uncritical of many of the destructive forces of the industrial development, in particular of modern science, high technology, and the nation-state. Indeed, their markedly northern-centered view led political ecologists to propose scientific progress, better technologies, and especially better policies as to as the answers to resources depletion and, pol- and pollution problems. The nation-state remained, in their view, the most important, if not the only, relevant unit of action. Mm-hmm. My note there is... The Rockefeller clan and the banksters want to keep the politicians as they are because they can be controlled.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: And the movement is all about power, control, and money.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. And that, and it's, and I always think it's, it's um, for them power and control because obviously then the money comes along with it. <laughs> yeah. right. If you own the printing press, you have infinite money right well i put them in that order power control money yeah money and the money (laughs) is what makes the 99 uh go to work every day to help them build this prison system like they use the money to make us get off our butts and go to work and build it for them
1: yep okay we continue it was at this time within the context of political ecology that most environmental agents emerged be it greenpeace Friends of the Earth, the National Resource Defense Council in the USA, or many more, they all refer to this framework of political ecology within which they operate and which they perpetuate. (laughs) Later in the 70s, Green Parties used this Green Movement in Western Europe while simultaneously strengthening the purely political approach to environmental issues and problems. Therefore, because the political ecology framework, the nation-state remained the focus of environmental activists the causes of environmental degradation were thus localized in politics and not, for example, in the dynamics of the industrial development process. Mm -hmm. Yet this analysis not only ignored the root causes of the development crisis, it also suggested that further scientific, technological, social, and political development would help solve the problems. Technocracy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) In short... In short, though it added some arguments to the critique of development, the Green Movement of the 70s did not identify industrial development as being the problem for the planet and its inhabitants.
0: Yeah, I want a real trip. Go look and see who funded uh, Greenpeace, Friends of the Earth, uh, (laughs) National Defense Council, and all that stuff. I guarantee it probably stemmed right from the Rockefellers. So, (laughs) controlled opposition.
1: (laughs) Yep. So, the New Cold War and Global Ecology. The New Cold War prepared the ground for global ecology, for which the so-called theory of nuclear winter was probably a trigger. First put forward in 1982, this theory states that a nuclear explosion anywhere on this planet has the potential to induce climate change planet wide Mm -hmm. rather than being about the the nuclear threat this theory is in fact about global environmental change i write more theories no facts Mm -hmm. ozone depletion and global warming in particular along with other global environmental issues such as deforestation and soil erosion became the focus of this new global ecology Global ecological problems were no longer simply resource depletion or pollution issues. All right, under the next subsection, the challenges of global ecology, they write, If the challenge of global ecology is taken seriously, there are now serious output limits to further economic growth and industrial development. Promoting such massive industrial development, as most of these multilational companies do, Amounts to promoting accelerated destruction of the global environment. Mm. Think think about that. They're telling you we have to save the planet and promoting the massive industrialization of the planet.
0: Right. Yeah, I know. That's what we were just talking about. They want to go into these indigenous primitive areas. I I was just reading, I don't know if it was something you sent me, and I was laughing. I'm saying, they're saying these poor people are the ones that are doing all this polluting, and we have to industrialize them to make them not be uh, polluters, while at the same time they're telling us that our industrialization that we have uh, has caused us to be polluters. And at the same time, they're saying they want to go industrialize all these places. That's like, tell. I mean, look, if you want to look at pollution based on the way they weigh it, that's like trying to tell me the Amish pollute more than I do. You know, I mean, come on. Uh, they're they're yep. sitting at home operating on candlelight. Well, it's interesting. I'm going to flip ahead. You don't even know this. Uh, this is
1: page 44 of the book. Uh, the Framework Convention on Climate Change. They write, Global warming would lead to rises in sea level and coastal flooding. Unpredict. This came straight from the IPCC in 1990, folks, okay? all right. You don't have this page, Dustin. I'm just flipping okay. ahead because it's relevant to what you just said. In 1990, the IPCC wrote, Global warming would lead to rises in sea level and coastal flooding, unpredictable weather patterns and drought, and therefore decreased ac- agricultural productivity and further hunger and migration. Because carbon dioxide is mostly responsible for global warming, the IPCC concluded that carbon emissions needed to be cut by 60% at least in order uh, simply to stabilize current carbon levels in the atmosphere. The IPCC had also assessed that the industrialized north accounted for the majority of carbon dioxide emissions. Basically, due to the fact that such emissions are totally correlated with fossil fuel consumption, fossil fuels being the primary motor of industrial development. Okay, folks, we have proven that, all every word of that, to be absolute lies. Mm-hmm. Or in 1990, maybe it wasn't a lie, but it turned out to be 100% false. Mm-hmm. We just read half of it from, right. their, from the IPCC in 2017 saying, yeah, it doesn't cause any of that. And we saw in the other document with the CO2 emissions globally. Remember the one that went back to 1750, however the, yeah. they figured that out. It shows that 100 percent of the increase in CO2 emissions annually from 19 what 79 or whatever is China, Southeast Asia, and India. Has nothing the last time I checked, those are not industrialized north. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now China's in the northern hemisphere. They're in the northern, but they weren't industrialized. Mm-hmm. Anyways, okay.
0: Back to the introduction. Oh, we're going back. What page are we on? Yep. Nine. Nine, okay.
1: Protected okay. by the Cold War and legitimized by the social and environmental movements of the late 1960s and 70s, in the age of global ecology, nation states not only have the legitimate le, le, legitimation problem, they also now have to demonstrate that they are still relevant agents when it comes to the new challenges of global ecology. (laughs) The role of the military is, of course, brought into question in a very similar way by global ecology. Next page, page 10. The UN system, whose aim, as we have seen, is to promote development, not to mention the fact that over the past 40 years, the UN system has created a development elite of its own whose very existence is now brought into question by the global ecological threat. In this book, we show that unsaid offered a unique opportunity to all these different agents to redefine and re-legitimize themselves in the new age of global ecology challenges and changes. Now, why do they have to redefine themselves or re-legitimize themselves? Did they already blow up their credibility? Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, just just pondering there. Okay, they continue. Rather, the outcome is a new push for more environmentally destructive industrial development. And then I ha- they highlight the Brundtland Report, Our Common Future, which was uh, created by the World Commission on Environment, unsaid, uh, in 1983, and the report entitled The Challenge of the South is a product of the South Commission, just, <laughs> just established in 1987. And this book goes through those documents. Okay. That's the introduction of the book.
0: Yeah, this is great. So these, so you said these guys were, uh, they what were they? They were going to work. What They're down environmental activists? Yeah, and then so that they thought that they were so they were sucked into the the live action role play, you know, into the grift, thinking they were going to save the planet, and then they realized that. It was a giant um, economic terrorist takeover of all of these areas. I don't think they were sucked in. I think they
1: were they were truly saying, hey, all this industrial development is depleting resources, number one, well, environmentally damaging, number two, and, and making the South poorer and the North richer, number three. Mm-hmm. They were just activists. And they go to this thinking that they're going to learn something or be part of their people, and they realize it's a huge grift.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they were true (laughs) believers in their cause. They weren't grifters who broke away. They were true believers and then realized that the the system was a scam, that the whole thing was controlled. The whole thing was not about what it said it was. Right. And, folks, I recommend reading the book. I am up to page... Jim's flipping oh, through his book.
1: 50 or so. And as you can see, there are.
0: Yeah, I was actually. Lots of important data. Yeah, when you were sending this over to me, Jim, with all the orange highlights on there, I was trying to. I have an AI system that I run that through to see how much carbon you emitted with all of the highlighters that you use to actually. <laughs> mark up your notes on those pages. What do you go through? Like a pack of 12 highlighters a week? No. (laughs) I usually have a a few on hand just in case. Oh, yeah. So now that one, you're 50 pages in, or the the other book, are you finished with that one?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Oh, you are. Okay.
0: And then you started this one.
1: I started this one. This one's about 200 pages, so I should be done in a week or so.
0: Oh, okay. And then are you You said you have uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Are you going to do that one?
1: I do. Yeah. I am at some point, but uh, I think next I'm doing another Climate Hustle book. Mm. And then I got a book on the Rockefellers. Oh, okay. I think it'll be after that. Yeah.
0: What's the so book on we'll the see. Rockefellers?
1: That's um, that Nordegard guy. I think he's Norwegian. He did a PhD dissertation. Uh, oh, okay. on the Rockefellers and
0: wrote a book about it. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So who's in charge of the Rockefellers? It used to be David Rockefeller, right? was like the most front forward. Yeah, I don't remember anymore. He was like in a wheelchair. He kind of looked like George Soros. Um,
1: yeah. he was he pretty passed. free. I don't know. Who, I don't know who does it now.
0: Well, I look, I give credit where credit's due. I think it was probably Alex Jones 20 years ago. It made me look at the Rockefellers because he used to go out with a bullhorn in front of David Rockefeller's house and start screaming, like, yeah, "You're taking over the planet." This is Alex Jones with bone broth. I'm going to take the bone broth and the anti-globalist foaming agent, rub it on my armpits, and helps uh, keep these people away with the garlic pills. That's like basically what <laughs> what it uh, what he does. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that, so that, that that's did great. you get that spreadsheet I sent you? uh let's see the one that you sent to the email before the show
1: yeah so people you know we started off talking about how you know um solutions right like finding local banks we've talked about we talked about the uh, dtcc looking into like blockchain technology for your wall street type assets the dtcc is a clearinghouse for that so we're not sure we're speculating on how they're going to manipulate that into digital slavery Mm -hmm. um your wall street assets so i I just want to highlight this i we've shown the chart of the s&p 500 back to 1900 before on your show it might have been episode 80 where you know when it goes down it takes 20 years to get get back to break even on average roughly well the market started turning down in december of 2021 and so uh, I read an article yesterday about it. You know, the market's up 600% since 2008. So this is simple math, folks. 2008, you you start with 100 grand. And by the time the crash is over, you're down 50%. Okay, so you're down to 50 grand. And then this 600% run starts, okay, since the financial crisis, right? So your 50 grand turns into 300 grand at the end of 2021. And the market's down like fifteen to twenty percent since then. Let's say top to bottom, it goes down fifty percent again by the end of twenty twenty three. So then you're back down to one hundred fifty thousand bucks. So you started with 100000 hundred grand in two thousand eight. You you went up, you went down, you went up, you went down, and at the end of two thousand or beginning of two thousand twenty four, you got one hundred fifty grand. The internal rate of return, folks, is scroll down two point five six percent. Wow. So you did all that and you lost sleep at night and you worried and you, you cussed out your financial advisor and you shredded or burned one of your statements to get a two and a half percent rate of return.
0: Wow. That's insanity. Now you got to run one with your, um, oil and gas royalties at the uh yeah i'm plugging your business though no, you got to run one with the oil and gas royalties at what'd you say like you try to average around what eight to 12 you said 10 to 12 is where we normally start you and if, if the commodity prices go down you
1: might drop to you know six seven eight if, percent if the commodity prices go way down you might get four or
0: five okay <laughs> and then yeah but then i mean they're going to end up coming back up and like i mean and what, they come back and what's, and I mean, and this is obviously you, obviously you can't make like predictions, but as someone who's personally invested in this stuff, would you say with everything you're reading on the climate hustle and everything that's coming, the price in commodities is only going to go up, right? Cause they're going to create all this artificial, uh, rise in price. They're going to, uh, you know, with all the pretend tax on it, they're going to be adding fees and ta- all kinds of stuff. I mean, would you say that it's going to go up rather well, than down in the long than that. term? It's simpler than that. Demand is rising.
1: Go look up the demand for coal in the last, you know, several years. It hit a record high in 2022. Oh, mm-hmm. you didn't hear that on the news, did you? It's expected to hit another record high in 2023. Why? India and China are developing. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the oil demand ex- is expected to rise 1% a year. That doesn't sound like a lot, but oil is a massive commodity. Okay? Well, the other the other in, thing in, in Poland India, going on? Yeah. India just became the third largest car, man- car sales country in the world. And they're, mm. they're one th- less than one-third of the sales in the U.S. and China. What's going to happen in the car sales in India the next 10, ten years? Mm. And, oh, by the way, only 2% of those were electric vehicles. So you've got a massive demand for oil. It's not going away. You've got a massive demand for natural gas. It's not going away. But supply... Is that they're suppressing supply with all this, uh, this green push and green agenda and
0: uncertain this and uncertain that. Yeah, no, definitely. That's what I'm saying. So if you, if you had based on your own, uh, like your own personal investments, let's say you're going out 10 years, right? Do you think Mm -hmm. the price of, uh, oil and gas are going to go up or down over the 10 years? Up, yeah. So you got to run one of these charts. What the hell? Put it next to it. Say you started with 100000 in 2008. I mean, you'd have to know what the – you just have to come up with an average. Uh, it's of what it's like buying land, though. It's real estate. It's like buying land. You don't
1: get a statement every month or every quarter or every year on what the value of your land is. You get a rate of return based on the royalty checks. Mm. And it's multi-generational cash flow. Unlike gold, who has no cash flow, this is an asset that I can pass on to my kids
0: that is cash flowing right right and so people understand because uh, we haven't gone over it on the show it's basically every yeah. uh i want to do a show on it though um as soon as we take a little break from this stuff so you can explain it because i i had said to the audience you had sent me over some stuff to look at i mean i i thought it was i've heard about it over the years but i never went and explored it until a few months ago, when Maria Albanese first introduced me to you, and you sent me some information, and then you were yeah. able to clarify what it is, and and I myself personally, like I have people in my life I've been talking to about it because there are folks, and this is wide range, generally not younger, but I don't really talk to younger people, but people of my age, uh, between forty and fifty, that are let's say people that work for. Uh, employers for years, which I always worked for myself, so they were always paying into a 401k, and mm. they're sitting there asking me, well, you talk about all this crazy stuff on your show. What the hell do you think is going to happen to my money? And I'm like, I don't know, because like you said, you can't really do financial planning for people because you don't know their circumstances. Well, I don't know. What's your money invested? And I'm and how not how licensed to
1: do so anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and even with me, they say, what's going to happen? I'm like, well, I don't know where your money's invested inside your 401k. I have no idea. But um they want to know what's going on. That's why I thought it would be interesting to do a show on it because uh, any type of uh, investments people can make that are safer uh, than putting their money in Wall Street, which is what they'll traditionally do if they're going to Charles Schwab or anywhere like that, right? I mean, they're just going to be putting it yep. into some fund. Yeah. The royalties are basically existing oil and gas wells,
1: and, they're, and the original lease, when the oil and gas company leased the minerals, <laughs> they negotiated a royalty to the mineral owners well whatever that royalty whether it was 12% or, or 20% doesn't matter you know we've got somebody that owns those those royalty payments we analyze those from existing wells and we pay them something and then you know we did all the homework to make sure there's more upside and you've got all the acres and take all the risk out of it uh, other than commodity price and maybe well you know some well mechanically breaking which 1% or less chance of happening Mm -hmm. outside of that risk or nuclear war you know we can't obviously predict that but the simple risk we can mitigate by analyzing this deal Mm -hmm. and it's like flipping a house you know we we keep a little piece for ourselves and we flip it for a a 25 30 ish percent profit that's it right right but it's it's cash flow it's these these things pay out monthly if Mm -hmm. you've got a small deal with a handful of wells and they're doing maintenance on the wells okay you might miss six weeks they're doing maintenance just like you do maintenance on your car they do maintenance right. on the well so they last longer same concept
0: mm-hmm. yeah and like you've said it makes sense it's not going to sit that long because they're not making money if the well isn't uh, right. operational they're losing right. money every day that it's shut down right but um but no i think it's great because i mean you obviously have spent more time in that world uh having been inv- you know financial planner and then in the oil and gas royalties so as far as all of the stuff that you've explored personally over the years as safer long-term investments. This is obviously one that you like, otherwise you wouldn't have gotten involved with it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you, and then you, and you dabble in some like real estate as well, like real estate. A real little estate. bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I know this that's thing, what you were saying earlier. You find these to be safer uh, investments and they're hard assets. It's a big giant middle finger to wall street. Yeah. Exactly. Versus sticking your money in stock. Like if you had your choice, would you rather buy uh, oil and gas royalties or oil and gas stocks? Now,
1: knowing what I know, royalties. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you can make money in the stock market, but it's a casino. You can't control Mm. it. You know, when you look at these royalty stocks and you look at when the price of whatever the commodity is, oil or natural gas goes down. You could lose sixty-five to eighty-five percent of your money in these stocks, and you're going to get a statement that says your hundred grand is now worth fifteen thousand bucks or thirty thousand bucks. What's going to happen to you mentally?
0: Yeah, and then you're sitting there for the next ten years waiting for the prices to come back up, hoping Four or to get five your money years up. or whatever. Right? Yeah. When you own royalty-deeded title real estate, I don't get a
1: statement. If the commodity price goes down and my royalty payments, my monthly checks go from say 5,000 a month to 2,500 a month, I don't get a statement saying I'm down, my, my 100 grand is down to 50 grand. right? My checks
0: are down, but I'm still getting a check. Exactly, you're still getting a check. And the other thing is, it, it's like buying a house, right? That you're looking at for long-term, not just flipping it. You're not sitting right. there freaked out because in your plan when you decide to put this together is not that I'm buying this these mineral rights which is uh, below the surface of the land to flip three months later like that's not part of your plan right. and, and I got to be honest like most of the people I I'm friends with that have made money off of I mean I'm talking whether it be stocks or whether it be cryptocurrency are friends of mine that are pretty smart and they sit around and day trade all day I'm talking like they're on their phones 12 13, 14 hours a day sitting at home on the couch day trading yeah. around their laptop day trading and there are guys literally you know you talk to them one day they're like dude i made four grand today the next day they're like dude i lost twelve thousand dollars i'm ready to shoot myself like um they just sit there as good as they think they are the majority of them they're like gamblers they're like you know They'll your friends that go to the casino they go to the casino and then they come back and they tell you they won fourteen thousand dollars on roulette and you're like well, last month, didn't you lose $52,000? <laughs> so, they forgot about that. <laughs> yeah.
1: and interesting, so, Interestingly, royalties are the exact opposite of day trading, you know, where you're on your phone 12 hours a day. Royalties are literally dubbed mailbox money. Mm-hmm. It's the Clampets from Beverly Hillbillies. You go to your mailbox once a month and you d- get a check and you deposit it in the bank. There's no mm-hmm. effort. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and You I, don't have uh,
1: tenants that you have to kick out. You don't have a house you have to rehab after you kick the tenants out.
0: None of that yeah, crap. Yeah. And I and I had a, fr- a friend of mine, I, I used to watch him. He'd sit there all day, right? He was, uh, I mean, he dabbled in yeah. day trading stocks, cryptos, and was doing Forex, like foreign exchange. He was sitting there all day. Graph charting, you know, did he's all got this. Four, four monitors up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He took all these classes and stuff. He, like, I mean, he was really good with math, and, and he would sit there and he'd be doing all of his uh, charting, all his graph, and boom, I got it. And he's sitting there for 40 seconds waiting for something to pop, and, like, all of a sudden drops. He loses, like, The thousand bucks that he had sitting on that. I'm like, dude, is there really a science to this? Or is this, you know, oh, come on, the candle, the, uh, what was it? The candlestick book or something with all the candles and I'm sitting there watching going, did you have any idea What's cause most of the people that make a ton of money have insider knowledge. They know what's going to happen. Like years ago, my father's uh friend was head of, um, marketing for Boston scientific